G'day and welcome to The Other Side Australia, episode 222 for the weekend starting Friday, September 8, 2023. I'm Damien Curry. This week we bring you the second of our two spring break best of episodes where we take a look back at the best segments from the first 10 shows of The Other Side Australia on ADH TV. We'll be back with our regular show next Friday night with a summary of all the news and commentary of the week. But this week and last week, we've been putting together the highlights of our first 10 episodes. And one of our favorites was episode eight, which first streamed in early June, the week that WA Premier Mark McGowan announced that he was standing down. Australia now has one less leader that has very little respect for freedom. WA Premier Mark McGowan pulling up stumps. The official reason, because he's tired. West Australians love this guy, don't get me wrong. He had a 91% popularity rating at one stage, which was an all-time record for Australian pollsters, the highest of anyone ever. Uh, and of course, at the last WA election, the people rewarded his unbelievably strict school principal approach to COVID with a resounding victory that almost wiped the poor new woke Liberal Party off the map in the West. The Liberal Party ended up with just two seats in the 59-seat WA Parliament. Unbelievable. Today I'm announcing that I'll be stepping down as Premier and as member for Rockingham. He's wrapping up an almost 30-year career in politics and more than 11 years as head of the Labor Party. We have the strongest economy in Australia and one of the strongest in the world. National Party Senator Matt Canavan told Sky News First Edition program that he missed a lot of opportunities, that is McGowan missed a lot of opportunities, to lock in big investments and projects for Western Australia and the rest of the country. When you look back over the last six years in Western Australia, there hasn't been a significant amount of inbound investment to large capital projects, which that state, which is the lifeblood of that state. There's a lot of missed opportunities for Western Australia in the last few years, and as we see oil and oil prices fall now, gas mm. prices come down to more, more moderate levels. We may look back on this period as a missed opportunity not to lock in some of those large capital investments. That's Senator Matt Canavan. ADH TV's Fred Paul had his own personal issues with Mark McGowan's COVID overreach and border closure policies. I visited several times during that period to spend time with my dying mum. Sadly, thanks to McGowan's heavy-handed state border controls, I wasn't allowed to make it back for her dying days or her funeral in September 2021. But two teams of AFL players and their extensive entourages were permitted to enter Western Australia at that time for the far more important purpose of playing an AFL grand final. It's infuriating. Let's not be too quick to forget the horrors of COVID overreach. I've often said the problem with COVID overreach is that it affected, it affected people unevenly. Some people suffered greatly due to bad luck, many others benefited. And in a democracy, unfortunately, it doesn't matter how much pain you inflict on the few or how unjustifiable and immoral that may be, so long as the majority is comfortable, you're gonna stay in power. And the manipulation of people through fear for political gain by overstating the COVID threat to justify lockdowns and mandates that went well beyond anything we should ever permit in a liberal democracy at any time, unfortunately works. It will get you re-elected, but that doesn't make it moral or right. Let's go back to November, 2021, 
when Queensland and WA were considering finally opening their borders and stopping the nonsense just before Christmas. And remember, we now know, as they all knew then, that there was never any evidence to show that the vaccine stopped transmission of the virus, and there was plenty of emerging evidence about the horrible effects that internal Australian border closures were having on business, families, and people's mental and physical health. Here's Channel 9 reporter Damien Ryan back in November 2021. All I want for Christmas is to go to Queensland. And if a border opening is on your wish list this year, it just might come early as the Sunshine State surges towards 80% double vaxxed. We're on target to reach it by the 17th of December, but as I just said, we're now almost like a week earlier. In WA, a cautious Premier continues to play Grinch. 90% vaccination rate will be the key to opening in late January or February. The adventurous and unsafe approach was New South Wales. And what you saw there uh, was hundreds and hundreds of people lose their lives. But not because they honoured our federation and allowed Australians to move freely inside their own country. New South Wales, like the rest of Australia, had among the lowest COVID death rates in the world. Nope, premiers like McGowan abused our fears and manipulated us for their own political gain. They saw opportunity and they seized it and it worked. McGowan may be popular with the majority who fall for his parochial WA messages and criticism of the eastern states, but the ethical minority of West Australians who aren't so childish and easily manipulated won't ever forget what he did. And they joined those of us in Queensland and Victoria who wait eagerly for the other two members of the anti-freedom threesome to follow in his footsteps and fade into oblivion. To shame, really, we'll miss great PR stunts like this one. It is sultry. Oh. There's no doubt about that. Do you think so? Oh, yeah. Look at him. Look at you. Like oh. he's you're having a date with him <laughs> across the table. I quite fancy him, actually. Candle lit. You yeah. do, actually, yeah. don't you? You've got, got a, a, you've got a thing I've for got McGowan. I've got a thing for McGowan, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tough love with soft eyes. <laughs> <laughs> You've really that. thought about it, haven't you? Know, I have, yeah. Let's yeah. go with it's that. A thing. It is a thing. That's yeah. what happens in lockdown. Yeah. You think about these things a little <laughs> too much. A lot. Some Twitter followers have suggested that McGowan has already got a new job. Take a look at this. Yep, the similarity is uncanny. At Burgermeister23 on Twitter, revealing McGowan's new role with the US MASH 4077th unit. I always thought McGowan reminded me of someone, Major Frank Burns. Too good. And what is comedian and songstress Chelsea Jones going to do now for her country songs and her obsession with McGowan? Like this gem from 2020. Cause all these city boys are so straight-laced and straight-faced They came straight from UWA So I'm gonna head to Rockingham Buy myself a country man And when I do, I'll say Do you wanna pick me up? Go to the pub And then grab a cab with me Mark McGowan I'm in love, I'd do anything for you In your heart, heart, heart Do you wanna pick me up? And then grab a kebab with me, Mark McGowan I'm in love, I'd do anything for you in your heart, heart, heart Border Yep, <laughs> there's nothing quite like a hard border closure, Chelsea And 
down the track when we try for a baby Will you wear the uniform that you wore in the Navy? I'll say, oh, thank you, Lieutenant, for your protection But like the Easter Bunny, I'll give you an exemption Do you want to pick me up, go to the pub And then grab a kebab with me, Mark McGowan I'm in love, I'd do anything for you in your heart, heart Oh, she's fantastic. That's the Mark McGowan official music video by Chelsea Jones on YouTube. Make sure you check out the whole thing. You will not be disappointed. Also, back in episode eight, we explored a very tone-deaf Twitter campaign launched by the Victoria Police in early June. We've had Bud Light, Miller Light, Gillette, now Target in America. Uh, I think we'll need to launch a tone-deaf marketing award of the week, I think. If we did have one, this week's award would go to Victoria Police for this tweet from the people who brought you firing on protesters because they dared to question Victoria's draconian lockdowns in 2020 and 21. The Public Order Response Team, or PORT. Their HR and PR people thought it'd be a really good recruitment publicity idea to tweet this image. A little spot the difference puzzle with the text, can you spot the difference? Put your answers below. That's asking for trouble. You've seen their cars rolling through the CBD and around town when attending events, but do you know what they do? Responsible for public order events and incidents, both planned and unplanned? There's no such thing as a boring day in the office for our public order response team. Well, somebody doesn't understand how Twitter works. That was like a red rag to a bull. And after 215,000 views, guess how many likes the tweet had? 37. 37. Not 37,000 or 3,700, just 37. This must be the worst Twitter ratio in history, surely. Most replies sort of followed this theme. Let me guess, they're both pieces of <clears throat> who are willing to arrest pregnant women, strangle children who don't wear masks, and pepper spray elderly ladies? Hashtag Dan's brown shirts. Yes, I'm sorry guys, but when you commit unprecedented violent overreach and stomp on civil liberties to the extent that you did in 2021 under the orders of an authoritarian government, and you ignore the protests of those who've suffered and mock them and call them nutjobs and call them deplorables, and then you find out you were wrong, you don't undo all that damage to your image overnight. And you sure don't do it by treating people as fools with little spot the difference puzzles. Give us a break. You're watching The Other Side Australia for the weekend commencing Friday, September 8. I'm Damien Curry, and this is the second of our two spring break best of episodes, recapping the first 10 shows of 2023. We will be back to our regular show next weekend and our regular interview show first streaming this coming Tuesday night at 6 p.m. on ADH and on demand thereafter. Make sure you do catch it. It's a terrific interview not to be missed with Sal Grover, the founder of an app called Giggle. Com, which was supposed to be for women only until the radical trans activists got involved. Now, this young entrepreneur has found herself at the center of a test case that's critical for Australia's legal definition of what a woman is. Don't miss that this coming Tuesday night here on ADH TV 
at six and on demand thereafter, as always. Episodes 209 and 210 of the show were huge ones. Bruce Learman, the man accused of raping Brittany Higgins, appeared on Channel 7's Spotlight program to clear his name. This was an accusation that has never been proven and which seemed to deliver some political benefit prior to the election for the Labor Party and which has left many, many questions unanswered. Not that we're making any suggestions regarding any of that, nor would we dare to in modern anti-free speech Australia. But we haven't heard the end of this story, that's for sure. We can't summarise episode 209 because it itself was a summary of so much that happened that week. But please do go back and watch the whole episode sometime for a refresher. But in episode 210 in mid-June, we followed up as Parliament had sat for another week. And there were more bombshells dropped regarding claims of sexual harassment within the halls of power. Well, schoolies week was on this week. Uh, sorry, I mean, federal parliament sat this week. Always a treat. Now, I wasn't planning on saying much about the Brittany Higgins story and all that stuff this week, given we dedicated half an hour to explaining it all last week, except to say that the tentacles continue to grow in this whole saga. But then Lydia Thorpe dropped her bombshell Wednesday and Peter Dutton dropped another one Thursday and then Amanda Stoker Thursday night. So we're going to try and help you understand it all. I don't know how any normal Aussie can keep up with it. I work on this show and I find it hard enough. But never fear, that's what The Other Side Australia is all about. Before we get into the latest chapter in the weird and troubling personal lives of our political class, I do need to correct an error that we made in last week's show. I'll always correct errors we make, as we'll sometimes make them given how much information we're working through each week. But I said last week that Brittany Higgins' interview with The Project in February 2021 was three months before the election. It was, of course, 15 months before the election, because the election was in 2022. So apologies for that. The years just seem to go so fast these days. Anyway. To Lydia Thorpe in a moment, but let's do our catch up chronologically from last weekend where we left off. And if you haven't read the Weekend Australians piece on Fiona Brown last Saturday, you really should. Now, Fiona Brown was the chief of staff in the office of Defence Minister Linda Reynolds. She's the one that Brittany Higgins and Bruce Learman reported to. She's their boss. She was slammed by Higgins in the project's interview back in 2021. Higgins said she didn't handle the situation well at the time of the alleged rape. And that is basically what the Labor attack dogs ran with in their campaign to politically weaponize the case and use it to attack ScoMo and the Liberals, you'll remember. It was a massive narrative that they were pushing in the election campaign, that ScoMo and the Libs had a women problem. All of our political class has a problem with its behaviour in this uh, particular sense, not just one party or another. But Fiona Brown has broken her self-imposed silence after years of personal torment. And she told The Australian that Higgins had earlier praised the way that she looked after her and handled the case. And the first thing that she knew that Higgins had any issues at all was two years later when she sat and watched mortified as Higgins named her four times in the project interview. As I said, it's really worth reading last Saturday's main story in The Australian on Fiona Brown. If you haven't already, it's an eye opener. Now, as part of taking care of Ms Higgins, 
Instead of firing her for misconduct, as they did with Bruce Learman, the Liberals moved Ms Higgins to another department. And I've heard they even made sure it was a female minister so that she'd feel completely safe. They sent her to the office of Michaelia Cash. Senator Cash appeared on ADH TV this week. She spoke to Alan Jones about the fact that she and Linda Reynolds did do everything they could to support Brittany Higgins. Well, Alan, as you know, both Linda and I gave evidence under oath in a court of law. And our statements are very, very clear. But what we are now seeing coming out by way of the evidence again is that this was weaponised by Labor deliberately at the time. And they hounded Linda Reynolds, and if they didn't like her answer, they continued to hound Linda Reynolds. Mm -hmm. But what has also come out now in relation to the support that the Reynolds office was provided yes. is, of course, the email from Lauren Barron's, I've got it in front of me, dated Friday the 29th of March 2019. Now, Lauren Barron's, as you know, was from the Department of Finance, and there's a key line in here. This is what Lauren Barron says, back to Linda Reynolds, then Chief of Staff. I consider that the steps you have taken are appropriate, taking into account guidance material available, including from the Human Rights Commission. So that is the evidence that the Department of Finance provided to Linda Reynolds, then mm. Chief of Staff. Mm. I consider that the steps you have taken are appropriate. Right. Well, the Chief of Staff was lent to Linda Reynolds' office from the Prime Minister's office, Correct. Fiona Brown, yep. an outstanding woman who's just been buried. I mean, the text that I've read indicate very warm exchanges between Higgins and Linda Reynolds. None of that was acknowledged in the interview that went to air in February 21. Fiona Brown's notes are impeccable in detail, showing the care and support that Higgins was offered yes. in the days following the alleged incident. Channel 10 was informed about the level of care and support by Fiona Brown, a WhatsApp message dated June 7, 2019. Now remember, the lady you're looking here has been treated as if she's an impossible employer and Linda Reynolds, and they were sued, the government was sued by Higgins and Co. They were sued for money. And in a one day hearing, one day hearing, when Linda Reynolds was banned from attending, one day hearing, confidential, reportedly three million, our money, goes to Higgins for the appalling treatment by Michaelia Cash and Linda Reynolds. But in a message dated June 7, a WhatsApp message, 2019, from Brittany Higgins to Fiona Brown, Linda Reynolds' chief of staff says, quote, thank you. I wanted to say this in person, but I cannot overstate how much I value your support and advice. You have been absolutely incredible, and I'm so appreciative. So Higgins was well supported by employers in the Morrison government, but this program, The Project, which went to air in February 2021, showed the viewer Higgins' claims that she felt she'd been poorly treated, she'd been isolated, she'd not been given choice about where to be based in the wake of her allegations. Michaelia Cash speaking to Alan Jones here on ADH TV earlier this week. As I said last week, we need a royal commission into all of this. It's no good having an inquiry into one little bit of it in the ACT over here and then having a, a complaint over here into the new National Corruption Commission confusing everyone to death. No, this needs an organised, structured inquiry. But we won't get one because it could put the government at risk. Peter Dutton needs to act like 
a hound dog on this one and not give up, be relentless. It's fair to say that this could have turned the election if we'd known about it all beforehand. And by the way, the fact that Katie Gallagher is still a minister in our government after this week astounds me. But then nothing really shocks me anymore about our pollies. Penny Wong's behaviour also needs looking into, as does what Elbow knew and when. In summary, it's emerged that Wong and Gallagher knew about Britney's allegations earlier than they said they did. Gallagher has admitted this, which means that their whole routine in that Senate committee hearing in 2021, when Linda Reynolds raised the matter and they went, oh, how dare you? Oh, how could you possibly? Oh, goodness me, shame on you. That was all for show. This is why I'm a classical liberal. The only solution to politicians' bad behaviour is fewer politicians and fewer bureaucrats too while we're at it. We need smaller government. Government in this country has become an absolute monster. And now Albo wants to add thousands more public servants. Give us a break. Anyway, just when you thought the circus couldn't get any more circusy, Liberal Senator David Van was making a statement about the hypocrisy of Finance Minister Katie Gallagher's how dare you comment back in 2021. He was reading his statement in the Senate on Wednesday when this happened. Senator Reynolds and throw mud across the chamber while claiming in indemnity and innocence. Senator Thorpe, please, please, Senator Thorpe. Senator Thorpe, Senator Thorpe, please. Senator Thorpe, I've called you to order. Please be at order. Withdraw that comment, please. Well, I, didn't, I didn't hear the comment, but Senator Thorpe, if, if, please just withdraw. Why did you have to move Senator Thorpe, Senator Thorpe, please withdraw. It Senator is Thorpe is we... not assisting. Senator Thorpe, I'd ask you to withdraw, to consider withdrawing that. Thank you. The discourse in this chamber and elevate how we treat each other. Transparency, honesty. Uh, relay that I'm feeling really uncomfortable when a perpetrator is speaking about violence. That's inappropriate and reflected poorly in the member, and I have to ask you to withdraw that. I can't because. This person Senator Thorpe, I would just warn you at this point, at this point sexually you, assaulted that, that, me Senator, Senator Thorpe and the Prime Minister had to remove him from his office Senator and to Thorpe. have him talking about this today is an absolute disgrace. I have to uh, Senator Thorpe, I have to call you to order. I'm gonna have to refer that to the President, I think. Well, I'm gonna refer it to the President. Uh, rather than I'm just looking at the leaders. I'm my course of action is to refer it to the President. Senator Van, please continue with your contribution. I utterly reject that statement, that disgusting statement, outright. It is just a lie, and I reject it. Sorry, I Senator cannot. Van. Sorry, I withdraw the word lie. It's just not true. Senator Van denied the allegation immediately and later said he'd contacted his lawyers. He described Thorpe's allegations on Wednesday as outrageous and reprehensible and accused Thorpe of using parliamentary privilege in the most malicious and despicable way. My lawyers have written to her already making my position clear in the strongest possible terms, he said. But then the following day, Thursday, this. Yesterday I made remarks in relation to another senator. 
I then had to withdraw them because the rules of the Senate do not allow you to speak about someone's character, only about something they have said. So today I will speak about my experience in Parliament. I experienced sexual comments and was inappropriately propositioned by powerful men. One man followed me and cornered me in a stairwell and most of this was witnessed by staff and fellow members of parliament. No one witnessed what happened in the stairwell as there are no cameras in stairwells. I know there are others that have experienced similar things and have not come forward in the interests of their careers and fear they would be presented to the world by the media in the same way that I have been today. It just never ends. What goes on in that place and what sort of workplace is it? I'm no fan of Lydia Thorpe, but seriously, here we go again? There are different understandings of what amounts to sexual assault. What I experienced was being followed, aggressively propositioned and inappropriately touched. I was afraid to walk out of the office door. I would open the door slightly and check the coast was clear before stepping out. It was to the degree that I had to be accompanied by someone whenever I walked inside this building. To me, it was sexual assault and the government at the time recognised it as such. At the time, I spoke to the President of the Senate about it. I spoke to my colleagues about it. I spoke to the Sex Discrimination, Sex Discrimination Commissioner Kate Jenkins about it. Senator Thorpe then said she didn't make the incident public at the time because it was the same time as Brittany Higgins' accusations were made public. I did not make the incident public at the time because it was during the time Brittany Higgins had made her experience in this building public. I did not want to have anything taken away from Brittany's experience and her bravery in coming forward. I believe that was the right decision. My faith in the Liberal Party was not the right decision. Until yesterday, I thought they had taken this matter seriously. But then yesterday, I had to listen to a senator who has made me feel unsafe, speak on how important it is to keep women safe in Parliament. Silence is violence. And yesterday I could not stay silent. As someone who has knowingly made me feel unsafe, had the gall to stand up in front of Parliament and preach about protecting women. There's obviously a culture problem. Not good how it's being politicised though. I just wonder if these politicians actually spend any time running the country. Maybe we should scrap the whole system and start again. Honestly. Anyway, Senator Thorpe says she's not going to go to the police. I will not pursue legal action against the Senator. I will not go to the police. This is my choice. But I will continue to speak out against the abuse and, and harassment that happens in this building. That is my choice. I want to focus on making this place safe for everyone. And at this moment, it is not a safe place for women. 
and I call on the government to immediately increase the number of security guards in the building and cameras in the corridors and to consult women who work here on what measures and can and should be taken. I send my love and solidarity to all women, girls and gender diverse people out there who experience the many different forms of sexual violence. And to all those survivors, we must continue to stand strong, stand together and never be silenced. Now, after that statement, Pauline Hanson muttered something under her breath in the Senate that wasn't audible and Thorpe responded, F off Pauline. Then, just when you might have had your sceptical hat on, Opposition leader Peter Dutton revealed that more allegations had emerged about Liberal Senator David Vann and announced he will no longer be allowed to sit with the Liberal Party. Uh, since the airing of uh, Senator Thorpe's allegation yesterday, uh, further allegations in relation to Senator Vann have been brought to my attention overnight and this morning. As such, I met with Senator Vann this morning and a short time ago, I advised Senator Van uh, of my decision that he should no longer sit in the Liberal Party party room. At the outset, I want to make clear, uh, very clear, that I'm not making any judgment on the veracity of allegations or any individual's guilt or innocence. I'll make that uh, very clear. Um, obviously, there's an independent process with the PWSS, uh, the Parliamentary Workplace Support Service, to. Uh, get underway on my instruction. My office last night uh, and again today has spoken with the PWSS and they will conduct uh, their uh, considerations uh, of these matters. Um, in relation to uh, the movement of officers, uh, uh, Senator Thorpe made uh, uh, the allegation yesterday in the Senate. Um, I wasn't aware of the detail of Senator Van moving office, but I've conducted inquiries in relation to that matter overnight. Um, I advised that the action uh, at the time that was taken was uh, to the satisfaction of both Senator Thorpe and uh, the Green Senate leadership team. Um, and I'll leave my statement there. Thank you, you very much. Thank you. The details of those allegations emerged later in the day as former Liberal Senator Amanda Stoker revealed that she'd been groped by Senator Van at an event a few years back. She says he squeezed her bottom twice uninvited. Honestly, these guys are shabby, aren't they? I mean, keep your hands to yourself and the little guy zipped up. It's not that difficult, really. It's hard to know what's real and what's politics. I get that. Senator Thorpe was uh, on the radio blabbing about how it wasn't until the white girl said something that anyone paid attention. Yeah, nah. People weren't listening to you, Lydia, because you don't have much credibility. Something all of your own doing that has nothing to do with the color of your skin. Don't go playing the race card if you think this matter needs to be taken seriously. That's truly despicable. Honestly, the culture today sucks. And while I fully believe Amanda Stoker 100% and I have no reason to not believe Senator Thorpe's claims and David Van needs to have his chance to respond and be properly investigated, isn't the timing of these revelations all just so perfect for Katie Gallagher, Penny Wong and Elbow? No, I'm just being too cynical. Forget I said that. Anyway, both major parties are up to their necks in it, and we really need a new political force in this country.
This is the Other Side Australia Spring Break Best Of episode number two of two. Episode 222 for the weekend commencing Friday, September 8. All the twos there. We'll be back next weekend with our regular show. And this coming Tuesday night, we're back with our new uh, interview show and a fantastic interview with the founder of Giggle, Sal Grover, that you, uh, you don't want to miss. Our next story tonight isn't suitable for the youngsters and a word of warning to those who may find talk of sexual assault distressing to jump ahead 15 minutes. They never stop trying to get rid of Donald Trump. Back in May, the former president was found guilty in a civil case, not a criminal trial, of sexually abusing an American former magazine columnist in a New York department store back in 1996. That's 27 years ago. But it was a very, very unusual case. So we took a good look at it in our fifth episode this year. The case was brought by this woman, E.J. Carroll, who, in an interview with CNN, revealed that she had some very odd ideas about rape, much to the interviewer's shock and embarrassment. I was not thrown on the ground and ravished, which the word rape carries so many sexual connotations. This was not, this was not sexual. It just, it, it hurt. It just, what, it just, you know. But I think most people think of rape as a, I mean, it is a violent assault. It is not. I think most assault. people think of rape as being sexy. Mm. Let's take a short break. Think of the fantasies. Mm. We're going to take a quick break. If you can stick around, we'll talk more on the other side. You're fascinating to talk to. <laughs> rape is sexy. That's E. Jean Carroll in a 2019 interview with CNN's Anderson Cooper, who clearly wasn't expecting that. Uh, let's cut to a commercial break fast. Anderson Cooper introduced his guest by explaining that she alleged she was assaulted by Trump in a popular department store dressing room. Back in the uh, mid-90s, that's when writer and Elle magazine advice columnist E. Jean Carroll says this happened in a dressing room at the New York clothing store Bergdorf Goodman just steps away from Trump Tower. She writes about it and other painful encounters in her book, What Do We Need Men For? A Modest Proposal. We spoke just a short time ago. Whoa, 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 whoa. hang on. Stop. Um, she wrote a book called What Do We Need Men For? She thinks rape is sexy. And when all this broke, it was just before the US presidential election? Okay. Believe all women, believe all women. Carry on. I want to begin just by asking you about the latest thing that the president has said just moments, short time ago, he gave an interview to The Hill. He said, I'll say it with great respect. Number one, she's not my type. Number two, it never happened. It never happened, okay? I love that. You I am that. so glad I am not his type. I am so glad. This, is, this was 20 years ago. And I probably was, at that moment, in that five minutes, the most attractive woman in Bergdorf's, in that one bit of time. And you think that's what it was about for him? I don't know what it was about. We were, Anderson, we were having a high old time. You remember Donald Trump, hail fellow well met, walking up and down the streets of New York, greeting everybody, everybody liked him. You're he talking about 1995, 96. he was Shakespearean. He was great, you'd love to see him on the street. So when we met in Bergdorf's, and he said, help me, uh, advise me to find a president. I was delighted. I was thrilled. Okay. So things must have turned pretty bad 
pretty fast. So you were in, in you say you were in Bergdorf Goodman. I was coming out of Bergdorf's. Which was, was a store I heard you liked a lot. It's a posh and cozy. And Your whole just, face lights up when you talk about Bergdorf. I, just, by the way. I was just there today. Okay. It just, I just loved it. So I was coming out and he was coming in. He was standing out and he put his hand like this. So I did not go through the revolving door. Mm-hmm. He came in. He said, hey, you're that advice lady. And I said, hey, you're that real estate tycoon. And he said, come advise me. I want to buy a present. I said, oh, for who? He said, for a girl. So I was enchanted. It was such a great moment. Uh So how about the handbags? Oh, no, he doesn't want a handbag. Well, how about a hat? So uh, we went to the hats, and he immediately grabbed a fur hat, of course. And I said, oh, you can't put a dead animal on your head. And then I found out later, of course, all of his women wear those fur hats. Mm. Ivana, Ivanka. You've seen Mm. pictures. They all wear, okay. I realize this is a long clip, but to edit it too much would be to miss the fullness of, uh, of her description and miss the point. So please bear with us because we want to show you all of the most important parts of her story. I said, how old is the young lady? And he said, how old are you? And I said, 52. And he said, you're so old. He said that? Of course. He said, you're so old. And shortly after that, he said, I know lingerie. Or he could have said, underwear. And so we went up the escalator. We went to the lingerie department. It was empty. There was nobody there. That's going to sound strange, people, that nobody was in the... Because Bergdorf's is the greatest store on the earth. They take care of whatever you want there, there. Mm -hmm. If you're thirsty, they'll bring you water. They'll get you whatever. They'll call all over the country to get whatever you want. It was a moment in time. Nobody was there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Plus... A dressing room door was open, which is very unusual because usually they're locked. He said he wanted you to help him pick out some lingerie. Well, he, it can't because he was not having it with the hats. Okay. The hats were okay. So then we went up. He was going to get some lingerie, and I am just like, oh, well, I can dine out forever on this story. We're going to go get lingerie. You know, in these uh, he says she says cases, the credibility of the witness really is everything. People make stuff up. They remember things wrongly. They think they're telling the truth, but they aren't, or they are actually telling the truth. The person who is alleged to have committed the sexual assault is at the mercy of the jury and the court as to whether or not they believe the witness is credible. There are two or three boxes on the counter, the fancy, remember the old fashioned lingerie boxes, and a filmy see-through bodysuit in lilac gray. And he snatches it up and he says, go try this on. I said, you try it on. He said, no, it looks like it fits you. I said, it goes with your eyes. He said, no, go put this on. And Anderson... So at this point, it's, you're saying it's uh, a friendly... Joshing. joshing. I used to be a writer at Saturday Night Live. I see like an entire sketch of making Donald Trump put this filmy thing over his pants. That is what I'm thinking. Mm. I am not thinking... I think it's... I just... I was laughing as I said it. He said, well, you know, he went like this. And I walked in stupidly. So for you, this was kind of a, a New York moment. Like oh, one of the those best things. New York. Just like the best New York. Donald Trump is going to put on a filmy bodysuit? Mm. It's like, oh, I couldn't. So he, let's go in the dressing room. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to make him put the pants on. Walked in. And the minute I was in there, he shut the door and pushed me up against the wall and bang, bang my head on the wall and kissed me. I just, it was so shocking. And he put his shoulder against me 
to hold me against the wall. And at that point, I realized that I was in a very difficult situation. Did he say anything? No. No. It was just like, we're going to do this thing. We're just so hot for each other. Uh, or wh I don't, wh why would I even try to think what he was thinking? Anyway, so he pushed me, you know, he pushed me, held me with the shoulder, and I was wearing a, a coat dress and tights, and he pulled down the tights. And so um, that's he pulled what, it with, with He pulled it with both hands, with one hand? One. And um, that was when it turned serious. I realized that this was, this was, this was a fight. Um, and even though I can talk about it now uh, and put words to it, at the time the adrenaline is pouring through me and all I want to do is, right. How would you describe, what were you, you, you said you were, you were obviously fighting. surprised, fighting. Right. Were you scared? Were you no, angry? No, I, you... I was too panicked to be scared. It's really horrible stuff. Donald Trump completely denies that any of this happened. The jury did not agree. It found he was guilty of sexual assault, but not of rape. And they awarded him to pay five million US dollars to the victim. President Trump slammed the verdict as a disgrace. We were even, almost even in height. And down go the tights. And it was against my will. And it hurt, and it was a fight. And this is not a question I would normally ask, and if, if you don't want to answer, I totally understand. Um, but given the prior accusations, which have all been of forms of assault or harassment, um, you're saying there was actual penetration? Yes. Did you, uh, which is, puts it into a different category of any of these other, any of the other act, uh, women who have come forward? Um, I think techno, I mean, that, that, is, that is the definition of, of rape, one definition. That's the definition, yes. And that is where CNN stops the video on its YouTube channel. But there was more, the bit I showed you earlier, which we found elsewhere. I was not thrown on the ground and ravished, which the word rape carries so many sexual connotations. This was not, this was not sexual. It just, it, it hurt. It just, what, it just, you know. Well, I think most people think of rape as a, I mean, it is a violent assault. It is not I think most people think of rape as being sexy. Mm. Let's take a short break. Think of the fantasies. Mm. We're just gonna take a quick break. If you can stick around, we'll talk more on the other side. You're fascinating to talk to. <laughs> I wonder why CNN left that out. Remember what we said last week about media bias being in what they don't show you rather than what they do show you? Now, we try not to do that, so we're going to show you this also. I'm not one of these people who cares about whether Trump is a nice man. I care about having leaders who shake up the stinking rotten bureaucracies that are killing Western liberal democracies. So I really don't care how gross Donald Trump might be in his private life. But if he did actually rape somebody, he needs to go to jail because he's a rapist. But nobody's proven anything yet. And lots of people have tried very hard to get him. Anyway, during this trial brought by the woman who thinks rape is sexy, Trump had to give a deposition by video, which was released this past week. In it, he's asked to explain his locker room comments that he made in the now famous 
Access, or infamous, I should say, Access Hollywood bus tape. You know, the one where he said he, the, the really classy thing about stars being able to grab women. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Grab them by the You can do anything. That's what you said, correct? Well, historically, that's true with stars. It's true with stars that, that they can grab women by the That's what, it's, if you look over the last million years, I guess that's been largely true. Not always, but largely true. Unfortunately or fortunately. And you consider yourself uh, to be a star? I think you can say that, yeah. And now you said before, a couple of minutes ago, that this was just locker room talk. It's locker room talk. And so does that mean that you didn't really mean it? No, it's locker room talk. I don't know. It's just the way people talk. Did you or anyone on your staff reach out to anyone at Bergdorf Goodman? I didn't have to reach out to anybody because it didn't happen. Um, and, and by the way, if it did happen, it would have been reported within minutes. Talking about going to a major floor, probably, I assume, the most important floor, uh, a major floor in a major department store that's a very busy store, by the way, and checkout counters and everything else. And I would be in there. I mean, it's the most ridiculous, it's the most ridiculous, disgusting story. It was just made up. He really doesn't do himself any favors, though, does he, old Donald? I saw her in a picture. I didn't know what she looked like. Uh, and I said it, and I say it with as much respect as I can, but she is not my type. And again, when you say type, you just refer to looking at photos. So you mean physically she's not your type? Uh, physically she's not my type. And now that I've gotten indirectly to hear things about her, she wouldn't be my type in any way, shape, or form. But when you were talking back on June 24th, you were referring to her not being your type physically. I saw it. a photo of her. Okay. And the only difference between me and other people is I'm honest. She's not my type. Donald Trump in a deposition at the civil trial into sexual assault and rape allegations against him. The jury found it more likely than not that Trump sexually abused Ms. Carroll, ordering him to pay her the five million bucks. Jurors also found Trump defamed her in comments that he made in 2019 when denying her allegations. At least 15 other women have made historical claims of sexual harassment or assault against President Trump. While this may indicate a pattern of poor behavior, none of these other accusers have alleged rape. And it should also be taken into consideration that as a political figure, Trump is more prone to campaigns of reputation attack. We're making no claim to know the truth one way or the other, but we need to see all the information and consider all angles of these kinds of cases. Because the fantasy the radical feminists want us all to swallow is that men are always evil predators and lying, and women are always saintly victims and telling the truth. Reality is often much muddier and much more complex than that. Continuing our recap of the best segments of the last 10 episodes of this year, this is episode 222 of The Other Side Australia for the weekend commencing September 8. The second of our two spring break best of episodes, our normal show will be back next weekend, first streaming at 8 p.m on Friday, September 15. We're hearing a lot about these new proposed misinformation and disinformation laws in Australia. 
We simply must not let them go ahead. It's a power grab and they're going to use misinformation and disinformation prevention as an excuse for political censorship. Remember the last time Labor in were in power federally, they tried to bring in laws to curb the freedom of the press. It's hard to believe that any major political party in Australia would even try such a thing. But the 21st century sure is different to the 20th in terms of what political parties will and won't try to get away with. And the character and ethics of some of the people within our major political parties in Australia is something else. There's nothing more dangerous for liberal democracy than allowing the government to have too much say over what we can and cannot see, read or hear. It's step one to totalitarian or authoritarian control of the people to control their access to information. And that's why the United States has a First Amendment to its constitution, which protects the right of free speech, which means protecting the right to speech that some people may take offense to or find inappropriate. The importance of free speech and standing up to governments who try to curb it was made very clear in the US 2020 presidential elections. A campaign of suppression surrounded the Hunter Biden laptop story that involved the FBI itself. How bad and how deep the meddling in the social media platform's right to freely inform the public went was revealed in the Twitter files, leaks of internal emails between Twitter and the FBI and others that showed high levels of political interference in the days before Elon Musk took over Twitter. The man who exposed the Twitter files, journalist Matt Taibbi, gave evidence earlier this year at a congressional hearing in the United States. Taibbi has been a reporter for 30 years, most of the time at Rolling Stone magazine, and he describes himself as someone who grew up as a traditional ACLU liberal. That's a centre leftist for our Australian viewers. And he says he has always been a staunch defender of the First Amendment of the US Constitution. I'm not a so-called journalist. Uh, I've won the National Magazine Award, the IF Stone Award for Independent Journalism, and I've written 10 books, including four New York Times, New York Times bestsellers. <laughs> uh, I'm now the editor of the online magazine Racket on the independent platform Substack. I'm here today because of a series of events that began late last year when I received a note from a source online. It read, are you interested in doing a deep dive into what censorship and manipulation was going on at Twitter? A week later, the first of what became known as the Twitter Files reports came out. To say these attracted intense public interest would be an understatement. My computer looked like a Vegas slot machine uh, as the, just the first tweet about the blockage of the Hunter Biden laptop story registered 143 million impressions and 30 million engagements. Taibbi went on to tell the hearing that the original promise of the internet was that it might democratize the exchange of information and ideas globally. That the very existence of the internet was a positive threat to challenge the control of anti-democratic governments everywhere. But sadly, the Twitter files revealed an attack on the free flow of information across our world. What we found in the files was a sweeping effort to reverse that promise and use machine learning and other tools to turn the internet into an instrument of censorship and social control. Unfortunately, our own government appears to be playing a lead role. We saw the first hints in communications between Twitter executives before the 2020 election. 
when we read things like flag by DHS or please see attached report from FBI for potential misinformation. This would be attached to an Excel spreadsheet with a long list of names whose accounts were often suspended shortly after. Taibbi says the list of names were of political activists on both the right and the left too. The people affected include Trump supporters, but also left-leaning sites like Consortium and Truthout, the leftist South American channel Telesur, the Yellow Vest movement. That, in fact, is a key point of the Twitter files, that it's neither a left nor right issue. So, what was the most important and significant finding of the Twitter files? Taibbi says he and his fellow journalists learned that Twitter, Facebook, Google and other companies had developed a formal system for taking in moderation requests from all sorts of government agencies like the FBI, the Department of Defence and even the CIA. And there were hundreds more quasi-government agencies and NGOs, that's non-government organisations, like Stanford University, the Global Misinformation Index Group and many others who were also doing the same thing with these so-called moderation requests. A focus of this fast-growing network, as Mike noted, is making lists of people whose opinions, beliefs, associations or sympathies are deemed misinformation, disinformation or malinformation. That last term is just a euphemism for true but inconvenient. Undeniably, the making of such lists is a form of digital McCarthyism. Ordinary Americans are not just being reported to Twitter for deamplification or deplatforming, but to firms like PayPal, digital advertisers like Xander, and crowdfunding sites like GoFundMe. These companies can and do refuse service to law-abiding people and, and businesses whose only crime is falling afoul of a distant, faceless, unaccountable, algorithmic judge. As someone who grew up a traditional ACLU liberal, this mechanism for punishment and deprivation without due process is horrifying. Taibbi summed up by saying that it's not possible to instantly arrive at truth, but it is becoming technologically possible to instantly define and enforce a political consensus online, which is a great threat to people of all political persuasions. You're watching The Other Side Australia, episode 222 for the weekend starting Friday, September 8, 2023 on ADH TV, Australia's leading voice. And this week, we're bringing you the second of our two spring break best of episodes. We'll be back with our regular show next Friday night with a summary of all of the news and commentary of the week as usual. So do join us for that. We began the seventh episode of The Other Side Australia with two stories of terrible state government mismanagement in New South Wales and Queensland. I just can't start today's show without a tribute to the woman whose tragic final days are a sign of the sick, over-policed and over-regulated country that Australia has sadly become. As you've no doubt heard by now, 95-year-old great-grandmother Claire Noland died at around 7 p.m. on Wednesday night. She was tasered by a police officer at her nursing home in the New South Wales town of Cooma near Canberra because she was walking towards the officer holding a steak knife. She walked with a walking frame and she was 95 years old. So it's hard to imagine that she posed a threat worth the use of a taser. 
Tasers can be lethal to people with heart or other conditions. They are not a tool the police should use lightly, and they should never be used on any elderly person under any circumstances. They've charged the 33-year-old senior constable involved, but that is not going to solve the real problem, which is obviously a serious issue with training within the New South Wales Police Force. Heads must roll within the force at a senior level. This is just unacceptable. Mrs Noland is believed to have suffered a fractured skull and a serious brain bleed after falling and hitting her head as she was tasered. I wonder what Claire was like when she was younger. In a statement, Mrs Noland's family said she was a well-respected, much-loved and giving member of her local community and the loving and gentle-natured matriarch of the Noland family. It's not clear whether she suffered dementia, but wandering nursing homes at night is something elderly people do quite often. But this was the final days of the life of a woman who meant a lot to her family, lived through World War II, and probably had a long and very meaningful life. Too meaningful to end in such a hideous way. We have failed her. This isn't just a failure of policing, it's a failure of our aged care system, our state and federal governments, and all of us as citizens in not taking more care in who we vote for and why. It's the symptom of a state of affairs that we're all a little bit responsible for, I think. The terrible state of the culture within our political leadership around Australia was on full display with a disgusting performance in Queensland State Parliament from the members of Anastasia Palaszczuk's Labor government in the north. Chronic shortages forced a Gold Coast hospital to transfer patients to, wait for it, SeaWorld Medi Hotel because they couldn't accommodate them in the hospital. Gold Coast MP Sam O'Connor from the Queensland LNP opposition outlined the problem in Parliament only to be met with cackling laughter from Labor Minister's Grace Grace and the new Queensland Health Minister Sharon Fentiman. Here's how Channel 9's Today Show reported it. The hotel bed could not be height adjusted and the chairs were not suitable for an elderly patient with hip breaks. We don't need whistleblowers to tell us of a policy that was started by Lawrence Springboard about how to care for patients in a very safe, comfortable way. What the hell are you laughing at? What are you laughing at? Stop cacking yourself and get on with rebuilding the health for Queenslanders. Disgusting behaviour. Start rebuilding. I couldn't agree with Carl Moore. What a pack of absolutely shameful, unprofessional buffheads. Absolutely disgusting. And that Sharon Fentiman has just been given the health portfolio to look after in a reshuffle of Queensland Cabinet by Anastasia Palaszczuk. She's the member for an electorate in Logan City, south of Brisbane. The same city that our federal treasurer Jim Chalmers is from. Big Labor territory. I hope the people of Logan teach her a lesson at the next election. It's shameful stuff. We really aren't getting any talent into our political ranks these days, are we? Again, it's ultimately our fault for not caring and doing more to hold the major parties in check.
And that's it for the second of our two spring break best of episodes, recapping the first 10 weeks of The Other Side Australia for 2023. We will be back with original episodes this coming weekend. First streaming here on ADH TV at 8pm on Friday, September 15, and on demand all weekend and beyond as always. We're back with both our regular shows next week. On Tuesday night, I'll be joined for a fantastic interview with Sal Grover, the founder of Giggle.com, who's found herself at the very centre of Australia's battle for the definition of what a woman is. This is an incredible story and a frightening insight into just how far down the rabbit hole our woke bureaucrats have slid. Quite terrifying and eye-opening stuff. Do make sure you join us for that one. That's first streaming this Tuesday night at 6 p.m. On the other side, interviews here on ADH-TV and on demand thereafter. Catch you then. Mm -hmm.